Hello and welcome to episode two of this three-part Scrubs and Heels CCO CME certified podcast series, Equipped and Empowered, Thriving as Women in GI. I'm your host, Dr. Anita Sally. I'm a professor of clinical medicine, interim division director of the Division of Digestive Diseases, as well as executive vice chair of medicine in the Department of Internal Medicine and also the Associate Chief Medical Officer of the UC Health System here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Today's episode features a discussion titled Embracing Your Value, Tools and Strategies for Optimizing Professional Growth and Development. I'm extremely excited to have with me Dr. Asia McCutcheon to talk about this important topic today. Dr. McCutcheon is a partner and physician executive at the Atlanta Gastroenterology Associates, a division of United Digestive in Atlanta, Georgia. Please visit the show notes for this episode to view our disclosures and find other great program activities, including a written expert clinical thought commentary and additional episodes on building your network and being your full self. I'm so excited to get started with our talk today. Dr. McCutcheon, thank you so much for joining me today. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, Dr. Afzali. So I'm going to dig right in and ask for your input. And let's start with, so when we're talking about strategizing and optimizing our professional self and our advancement of self, we oftentimes talk about understanding and recognizing what your market value is. In your eyes and in your thoughts, how do you approach being able to define your own market value? How do you define what you bring to the table? I I think that's a fantastic question. And so I always like to approach these very complex questions in a more pragmatic manner, if you can. Um, So I'll start by just saying that some of understanding your market value really begins with some self-reflection. And in those uh, self-reflection activities, I tend to look at three key questions, for example. One is, what are my strengths? And your strengths may change or improve over time. Two, what are my core values that I'm bringing to an organization? And three, what are my interests? And your interests, as you know, may evolve over time as well. And so in, in my personal experience, It's been sort of this entire journey of self-discovery. And so 10 years ago, for example, I was a part of a well-established practice and there were strong community connections that existed. We would basically take our PCPs out to the country club. It was a well-oiled machine that I walked into. At the surface, it was very successful. I had great partners. The salary was wonderful. There was already community engagement, which is one of my core values. But internally, this void started to emerge. And I remember specifically like driving home and feeling like this emotional distress, like what what is missing here? And eventually that led to me driving home with tears in my eyes. And I, I didn't really identify initially what the problem was, but there was some internal misalignment. And that misalignment was me feeling like, my personal strengths, values, and what I wanted were actually not in harmony. And so that's where the beginning of understanding what your place is, not only in the marketplace, but in this world in general, what that actually looks like. 
I really like the way you've defined it as the three separate components. Again, self-reflection, understanding your core values, and then your interests. And, and as you described, we've all had that moment. You're, you're driving, you have that moment, you close the door, and you're not feeling satisfied or fulfilled or challenged, valued, what have you. And certainly this recognizes what happens if we're ill-equipped for having these internal conversations and discussions with ourselves. And so how can we avoid those tears or that closed room or that anger? How can we be ahead of that conversation that we're having with ourselves? Yeah. So I think that's where the whole doing some internal work comes into play. That's where self-discovery is so important. So I had to go back down and just peel back the layers of the onion and figure out what was important to me. And what was important to me was, although I had walked into a turnkey practice, it was a small environment and I wanted to make a national impact. And I knew that. And I had also learned from my interactions with my patients that there weren't a lot of African-American women in the field. So that was actually quite a discovery for me as well, because when I walked into GI, I didn't think, okay, I'm going to be a black woman in GI, right? I I love the field. And I recognized once I got in it, that there needed to be more representation. And I've always operated from like a lens of equity and making sure that my communities were taken care of. And so I said, I think what I would like to do, because I was very good at reaching my patients and humans on an emotional, real humanistic connection, I wanted to be able to make an impact in terms of educating them. I knew linguistically how to modify my language so that people could understand their disease state, what that meant. I could explain it to the family, the caregivers. I could take it up or down a notch depending on how they presented themselves. And I wanted to be able to share that. I wanted to be able to share my voice and use my ability to influence in that way. And for me personally, I then reached out to a larger platform, which was Atlanta Gastroenterology. I reached out to the managing uh, partner by email. I shared the current situation. I said, listen, this is a great place that I'm in, but here's where I'd like to go. And I think that you have the setup, the infrastructure that would allow me to have a broader reach and to maximize that influence. So there's a lot of work that goes into that, obviously, right? It's not like we're going to do a knee-jerk reaction, walk out of the door because this isn't working. There is a process and it's a self-discovery process. And I'll start with saying national impact. Indeed, you've already accomplished that. And it's so beautiful to see the impact you have brought, not just within the region, but on a national front, whether it's with equity, with appropriate representation and advocacy for our patients. So I applaud you for that. Thank you, Anita. And it it is such an honor to be able to serve in that capacity. Absolutely. Self-discovery is hard, right? We have to really challenge ourselves make sure we are in alignment with our core values, navigate and learn and have the strength to pick up that phone, send that email and put ourselves in a vulnerable position. So how would you suggest that, uh, I know you you emailed the head of, of Atlanta Gastro, but how would you recommend, what did that email look and sound like before that phone call? How vulnerable were you or how authentic were you? Yeah, so I think that anytime you take uh, such bold action, you need to do some ground research. It's like walking into any interview at an institution, right, and not knowing anything about the institution. 
I took a couple steps beforehand. One was I called a couple of my former colleagues that I had trained with that were a part of the organization. And I just asked them, what does your day look like? How many patients are you seeing? Are there organizations that you're involved with outside of the primary practice? What's the community relationships look like? How supportive is the practice when you want to pursue whatever additional avenues you're interested in? Are there committees that you can get involved in so that you can start to basically improve your skill sets? And um, so once I did that sort of ground level work, then I sent an email over to, you know, identified the practice manager um, and also the assistant for the practice manager. So my initial email actually went to the assistant and I said, listen, I'm a gastroenterologist I'm in a small town now. I'm seeing quite a few patients per day. And actually, the number of patients that I was seeing at that time per day was a little bit more than some of the people that I had called at the time, but that's not necessarily a selling point. But I knew I was capable of being able to transition very easy in terms of a workflow and volume standpoint. And I said, there's a new hospital being built. I'd love to actually come in and develop the area. My family is here, and I think it would be a great challenge for me. And they were excited about the opportunity to speak, to, to just walk into a different market. And I think to your point, that's the impact of recognizing your own market value. When you could say, I bring X, Y, and Z to the table, it helps them understand your contribution, right? And this is so important for all of us to recognize what do we bring at that table? And now is also now an opportunity for us to be able to self-advocate, as you mentioned. And I think oftentimes we talk about mentorship and sponsorship. Did you have someone at that organization and group that you were able to serve or, or lean on for that sponsorship or mentorship? Or was this your own groundwork investigation alone? I don't know. Um, I, I would like to take all that credit, but I can't. Okay. Okay. No, no. This. No, I, I think there's such power. There's such power in relationships. And these relationships are sometimes old, sometimes new. And so there was actually a woman at the practice that I had shadowed when I was a resident at Emory and she was a part of that practice. And so she was the first person that I reached out to, to try to understand some of the inner workings of that particular organization. Perfect. Yeah. That's, that's so important to highlight, right? We don't have to take this journey alone. We don't have to deal with each struggle, each challenge, each barrier alone. And being able to tap into that network is so important. And so even by definition, if they're not necessarily a, a mentor of years or a sponsor of however X amount of time, being able to tap into your network, I think that's so crucial and really emphasizes the importance of relationships. I think far too often in my role and in your role as well, most of what we do is, is relationships is relationship management, relationship building, and recognizing that we are beyond that transactional, you give me and I give you. We are really trying to help each other grow and build stronger as a unit, as an organization. So that is wonderful. But certainly there's some challenges, right? In the sense of at the end of the day, we need to have that self-allyship as well. Speaking of self-allyship and recognizing that there are different phases to it, our own personal awareness and comfort with it, how would you approach or how have you throughout your career trajectory 
approach self-allyship? Self-allyship. When I think of self-allyship, I think of kind of two woven threads. One is self-improvement. So there's always room for self-improvement. And the other aspect there, the other thread to be woven is self-preservation. And there's this concept of effective allyship, uh, which drives action for positive change. And you have to get into this mindset where you're okay with setting clear boundaries for yourself. And then secondly, valuing yourself enough to be able to articulate that with whatever stakeholders, peers, or environments that you're in. That's what kind of self-allyship means to me. It means that not only am I improving myself in terms of overcoming imposter syndrome, for example, because that's a really big deal and that's something that actually gets in our way and learning the steps to overcome imposter syndrome, but I'm also preserving myself so that when I walk into a certain space or environment, I am able to, as we stated at our Scrubs and Hills conference, we can put on our oxygen mask first, and then we can help others. And that needs to be something that's sustainable. That's wonderfully said. And once again, I appreciate the self-improvement and then the self-preservation, recognizing really it's a balance. It goes hand in hand and you shouldn't have to sacrifice one for the other. And in fact, one beats from and off of the other as well. But naturally, I think with time, just in your situation and mine, I've changed organizations as well, but we've also changed interests. I I didn't think coming into medicine that I would want to lead a large healthcare system. And likewise for yourself and your positions of leadership. How do you learn how to naturally pivot and be okay with the unknown, recognizing perhaps, Asia, sometimes that unknown is really scary. Yeah, that's a great question as well, Anita, because I don't think it's always as clear cut. In other words, I don't think there's always like this sentinel event. It may be a continuum, right? It may be a continuum where you initially, you're excited about a new role. There's lots of challenges to overcome. Um, there are some perhaps uh, KPIs or, or key performance indices that you're trying to reach. And then you also want to get the buy-in and, and uh, respect in that particular role from your colleagues or whatever other stakeholders there are. But when you, I think there are some some clear signals that it's time to pivot in one's life as well. And for me, for example, signs to pivot are when there's a loss of challenge. If the position is no longer driving me, if I'm thinking about doing a lot of other things and the level of engagement starts to diminish, not because I have a personal sort of issue going on. But but if this is something that is pervasive, because we always, we need to work off of logic and not emotion. And we know emotions are just feedback, they're information. So I always try to take a step back and say, is this a persistent theme? Now, every time I'm in this particular room or in on this particular meeting for this role, am I constantly wanting to like multitask and get my notes done? Am I no longer interested in creating an agenda in advance? I don't, I think that those are kind of clues. I think another clue is if you're daydreaming during a talk and they have to tap you, oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't unmute. Right, right, right. 
Can you repeat the question? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting thought. <laughs> right. That's an interesting right. topic. Yeah. Um, and maybe even starting to fantasize about other roles. It's not bad to realize that your time has come to an end. And I think succession planning is very important. I think realizing when a new sort of uh, set of ingredients needs to come in or a new set of people, ideas. And I, I think that is something that needs to happen in organizations. And it's a healthy aspect of growth. I, I think that's so important for all of us to recognize that it's a part of growth. Sometimes we either see it as, is it me? Did I lose interest? Was I not self-aware in advance of what I was or wasn't interested in? But I think our careers, just as personal development, this is professional development. And we change over time. We grow over time. Interests change naturally with our own values with our vision of what we see at that future. So I think it all interlocks. And this, as, as you're well aware, has been studied in a sense of, especially for professionals, after a certain time point and with a certain salary, rarely do we ever pivot because of the financials, because of salary alone, right? It's oftentimes, do we feel valued? Do we feel right. respected? Do we feel challenged? Is there opportunities for growth, for leadership, for advancement? So you very eloquently have reminded us, one, give ourselves some grace. Two, it's okay for the unknown. And three, the if that's the exciting part, perhaps, that exploration of the unknown brings us back to no longer daydreaming, but making it is, right? Asking what could be and making it this is. And in fact, that's what has interested me with my trajectory as well in the sense of recognizing that things change, time changes, my interest changes, and I like to build and, and see the operations behind that. And when those opportunities open up, just naturally, it's okay to pivot a little bit for or to seek those, op uh, those opportunities. So having said that, You've gone to the table, you understand your market value, you've had that self-improvement and self-preservation of, of that of the self-allyship you mentioned to us. Now it comes to negotiations. And I personally love negotiations. <laughs> certainly the, this is aside from the dollar amount. Salary, financials, I think that hand in hand comes with our skill set, our expertise, and falls under the, the market value of what we bring to that table. But in your practice and organization is uh, has its own other additional considerations, as does mine and my healthcare system. What additional aspects with the negotiations, and let's put salary aside, mm -hmm. you say these are crucial as we're developing and progressing in our own professional interests? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple of aspects that will set you up, if you will, to be successful in those roles and that are critical in those particular roles when you go in. Uh, because the consequences of not being ready uh, to advocate for yourself or feeling ill-equipped are potentially uh, missed opportunities. For example, you can delay your progress. You certainly don't want to be perceived as being incapable of performing a certain role. And there's increased risk of burnout. You want to make sure that going into any of these roles, that there is room for improvement and growth, right? 
two of the key human strengths that I think drive great leaders, and we've all experienced this, are curiosity and humility. It is known that curiosity and humility, if you experience humility, then you're going to be more, you're going to have more empathy and you'll often be a, a better leader. And the curiosity goes along with that as well, because then you're going to challenge status quo. And that is how organizations learn and grow from the talent that they have within. And growth often stems from challenges and setbacks. When I'm assessing whether a particular role is right for me, I still go back to those core values. Am I operating within my strength? And if I'm not operating within my strength, is there some mechanism for feedback whereby I would be able to improve the particular weakness that may be a part of the role? Because we don't walk in omnipotent and knowing everything. But if but it's important for us to now not only have mentorship, but also feedback. And, and when I say mentorship, I'm very careful with that, too, because it doesn't necessarily have to be, for example, from other board members. Other board members are busy. But are there organizations, for example, that you're involved in that help? Scrubs and Heels is one that I'm involved in. There's another women business leaders or, or organization. You can pick up the phone and talk to an executive of a completely unrelated organization. And if there's some aspect of your job performance that you want to work on, hey, I'm having trouble just understanding this financial sheet. Why do they show a balance sheet here and a cash flow sheet That's there? Right. <laughs> what does all of that mean? And, and right. why is it relevant? And am I supposed to chime in on that aspect of things? Or am I just supposed to be speaking from a clinical lens? All of those are questions that we will have internally. And it's important to be able to express those in some healthy sort of format, but also internally, those that have advocated for us to be in these positions, those that have raised our names in rooms that we're not in, those that fought for us to get there or supported us in those roles. I like to get feedback and make sure there's a mechanism for feedback there as well, because there's nothing more isolating than not knowing if you're doing a good job and nobody telling you nobody either. tells you yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. so frustrating I, I think that far too commonly as we know that this happens women wait until they're overqualified for these jobs and these opportunities in advance preparing ourselves for recognizing we may or may not have all the skills and and being able to be at the hundred I, you're overqualified if you possess all of those skills. So probably that wasn't the right job for you to, to begin with, as you've uh, reminded us, right? So approaching it with curiosity and humility, I really like that approach because once again, it reminds us that now you've approached it with the curiosity and humility. And now how do you take it to that next level? What will you be charged with? How will you ensure that these are the metrics that I either need to learn or phone a friend pick up a phone and, right. and, and review with others. And, and I think especially for us as physician executive leaders, we, we do have to have an additional balance in the sense of the, the clinical aspect as well as the, the boardroom experience and aspect as well. For yourself, did you find a sweet spot in the sense of being able to be that highly engaged and impactful physician leader, executive leader, but also being able to do why you went into medicine, practice patient care, and have that one-on-one -on -one with your patients. How did you navigate that aspect as you've developed and advanced your own career? 
I think that I believe in the saying that those closest to the problem are the closest to solving the problem. So I think ear to the ground is absolutely critical to understand what the needs are. And um, I know, I, I think I had read um, an article about your current role in Cincinnati, and you said how important it was for you to continue to practice in some capacity because it's important to be able to articulate the needs of the population that you're serving. Not only that, but if you're representing your peers, you need to be there. I like to roll my sleeves up and kind of know what's going going on and study all aspects of the work environment that we're in so that I can clearly articulate the problem, but also propose a solution. Because if you listen and you're in the field, sometimes it's the tech that's, hey, why don't we actually have the patient come in already undressed? With the the chuck underneath them, that decreases our time because now we're having, you know, everybody within these settings are completely capable of coming up with a solution. And if you're in there, you're like a sponge. You absorb all of that. So you can take that firsthand information and apply it to sometimes people that don't even really know what the sort of micro nuances are in these respective environments. That's well said. And it's so important to remember that medicine in all aspects will continue to always be a team approach. Whether it's from the boardroom or a bedside, it's always a team approach, recognizing that's the only way we could optimize our patient care, our delivery of care, and really not just directly with one-on-one, but also on a larger, generally national and population level. So I really appreciate that reminder that you're providing to us. So here's a curveball of a question recognizing how advanced you are with with leadership and with your interests, and you've also recognized your core values. If you were to say, gosh, lessons learned, have you thought, had I or should I have done this earlier? Or perhaps you would say, I live a life of no regrets. And and, (laughs) and so lessons learned or something that we could take as a snippet, as a reminder for us that we also can approach a pivot in our lives. I like the old adage that it's either a lesson or a blessing, right? Because it's, it's, it's so true. Yeah, it it's, is true. <laughs> I wish I had no regrets. Um, I don't even know if regrets is the word. There's some things that I could have done differently or learned quicker. Even rewinding to when I was in college, for example. When I was in college, I was gun hole straightforward pathway to medical school. So All of these opportunities to take different electives, it starts there. I think broadening your horizon very early on does give you a different um, perspective. I know lots of my um, fellow students traveled abroad and got these different experiences, and that kind of shapes you. It opens your lens up to different cultures, different ways of living, different experiences, And so to not be an honors chemistry major like I was, I think that's one thing. The the second component that I I wish that I had done is two times at Case Western, I walked into that MBA program because there was a combined MD MBA program that you could do in five years. And so it would have added just a little bit of time to my journey And so fast forward, when I realized that I sort of had this 
this brain that was marrying business to clinical medicine. And I was a fixer, right? I'm a chaser and a fixer. And I like to be able to solve problems within the healthcare system and make an impact. That requires being able to clearly articulate your proposition value. Mm -hmm. And value proposition as it relates to healthcare is not something that I feel like I knew how to to share or communicate as effectively as I can now. And I'm not sure that I still always do that in a way that is as effective as I'd like. I've taken a lot of time to try to understand how to communicate in a certain language that resonates with all stakeholders. And every system, whether it's a hospital system, an academic uh, system, there's there's dollars behind this. If we're looking at the GDP for healthcare is tremendous. And there's always an emphasis to make sure that our systems are efficient and high quality. And at the core of that is that the human capital. So putting all that together and and coming up with solutions that actually resonate with all stakeholders in an efficient manner is something that I think I probably would have done a little bit earlier. That is wonderful. And thank you for sharing your experiences with us, your words of encouragement. And a reminder, again, to all of us that it's okay to pivot. It's okay to not know what the unknown is, but to always recognize your core values, your interests, and have that self-reflection, practicing with humility and curiosity. So thank you so much again, Dr. McCutcheon, for joining me in this important conversation. And thank you to the listeners for joining us. We're excited for you to listen to the other great discussions that are part of the podcast series. And as a reminder, to view the full program, claim your CME credit, and to join the discussion, please click on the link in the show notes. And as always, thank you for listening.